Um, I, I wanted to introduce Dave, who's going to preach this morning. I came to church today. I, I don't know who's going to preach week to week. To week. And when I, um, when, when I met Dave this morning and I heard he was going to preach, I was like, inside my heart went, yay, woohoo, I'm so glad I came this morning. Um, because uh, he, uh, well, this couple here are just fabulous. Yeah? Dave and Jules um, serve so amazingly and are so gifted and are so packed with God and his fullness. It's just a delight to be led by them and fathered and mothered by them. So, um, and, and he said, he, um, Dave said, I'm going to preach on uh, leadership. And just in worship, uh, one, a picture came to my mind of like a, a general in the army. You know, you've got those ribbons. And, um, and I just felt like God wanted to, as just part of this morning, any of you who have led in the past. And what I mean by that is you've had a vision or an idea and you've stepped out in it. You've been vulnerable and you've taken a risk with something in God. That's, for me, that's what lead, leading is. I feel like there were like medals God wanted to give out this morning and well done that he wanted to say. That um, there was honor this morning for any of you where you've, even whether you failed or succeeded in your endeavor, it doesn't matter. Honor is what wants, God wants to kind of speak to you this morning. Um, and then the second word that came to my mind was uh, just the word watershed. And I had to quickly Google what it meant because I was like, that's a bit weird. And it, just, it means like a historical moment. And I feel like, as I just want you to open your hearts as Dave talks this morning, um, that this, I, I feel like this for some of us this morning is going to be a watershed moment, a historic moment in your personal journey and your walk with God, and maybe your journey of leadership and what God's called you to in terms of influence. That just to open your heart as Dave speaks, that there might be that, that moment with you today where you go, wow, that's really significant, and it's going to change the direction of my life now. Um, so just as Dave talks, that's, that's the significance of what God's put in Dave this morning um, to bring and share with us. So Dave, it's a real honor. I'm so excited what you're going to say. Um, bless you. Go for it. Well, no, no pressure then. <laughs> um, full refunds are available. Okay. <laughs> Lord, right, let's just, let's just pray. Oh, Jesus. Lord, we say we're on this journey together, whatever this journey is, wherever we're going. We want to submit to you, Jesus. You are fundamentally our leader. You're the one who's, you've, just, you've not even just shown us the way. You've been the way. <laughs> Jesus, we humble ourselves right now. And I say, and we agree together, we are utterly dependent on you, Holy Spirit. Will you, will you lead us? Will you lead me? Lead what I say. Lead what people hear. Lead what sticks in our hearts. Well, so that we are fully submitted to you having your way this morning. Because we trust you, because you are... Altogether lovely. And you're so good. Oh, Jesus. Amen. Right. You know what's coming next, don't you? To whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. 
Thanks go out to Joe Godwood for supplying these jokes to me this morning. Thank you. Uh, my fear of moving stairs is escalating. <laughs> Saw a baguette at the zoo. It was bred in captivity. Oh. <laughs> Never iron a four-leaf clover. You don't want to press your luck. I'm terrified of elevators, and I'm taking steps to avoid them. <laughs> I before E except after C. Disproved by science. Let's <laughs> keep coming. Past, present, and future walked into a bar. It was tense. A bike in town keeps running me over. It's a vicious cycle. I'm sorry, yeah, that's enough, isn't it? That's more than enough. Stop there. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> See me at the end. What was that? <laughs> I'm available for weddings, parties, bar mitzvahs. <laughs> so, um, here we go. Where are we at? Right. Uh, I'm talking about leadership. So we are, as a church, going through a, uh, a culture series. Many of you know, perhaps some of you who are newer to us may not know this. We've been going through a series of Jen introduced last week for the last, since January, so this, this um, annual year. Um, and we've, we've laid a foundation of, so what, of, of who God is, who we are in God, how we relate to him, how we relate to others. And we've reached the stage now where we're being a bit more practical in how that app works itself um, in practical ways and corporate ways. Um, leadership is vital because if we don't get it right, we're not going to be able to flourish. Leadership creates an environment within which we all get to be ourselves. And leadership can either squash you or it can raise you up. Um, and leadership is sort of all around us. So it's not one of those things that can be neutral, unfortunately. It's either going to bless you or it's going to not bless you. Um, it, very, it doesn't leave you in the middle. So it's really important that we get this right. Um, the first challenge, however, before we even think about leading anybody else, is to lead ourselves. And I think that's really the, the essence of my, my talk this morning. If we can lead ourselves well, then we will have a positive effect on those around us. Um, I've said it already, Jesus is, is fundamentally our leader. And whilst I think that there is, we're told in the Bible in, uh, in Corinthians, there's, a, there's a, a spiritual gift of leadership to be executed with zeal. So we can't make a biblical argument that there are some who have a greater anointing to lead than others. But I think we can also say that actually we're all meant to lead in some way. We're all now an, a nation of kings and priests. We're all meant to be kingdom influencers, and if we want the kingdom to ex extend, then wherever we are, we can lead in that environment. We can affect that environment. Um, so whether you feel like there is leadership that you can define on you, or whether it's simply you are going to take a lead, <laughs> defining the culture where you are, this is a, an important subject. Uh, 
we are going to focus on Moses for this talk. There's so many places I could have looked at for leadership, and obviously Jesus is the obvious one. Um, but we're going to, for this talk, we're going to look at Moses. He has an extraordinary resume as a leader. He takes a nation from captivity, leads them miraculously through the desert for 40 years, brings an entire nation into the promises of God for them. He starts his life riddled with insecurity, full of fear and self-doubt, and yet he goes on to perform arguably some of the greatest miracles in the Bible. He received the commandments personally from God on a mountain that was physically shaking, and those commandments have gone on to shape culture and society as we know it today. So he has had a phenomenal effect on not only his nation, but the whole world. Um, And I think he's an inspirational person to look at. There's so much we could look at, but for this talk, I'm going to look at one episode in his life, um, and actually just one sentence. Um, The context here is that he's brought Israel out of Egypt. They've had their 400 years in captivity in in Egypt, where they grew from a small nation, literally Jacob's family, Joseph, 12 brothers, um, quite prosperous, Pharaoh changed, Israel grew, they grew so much that the king of Egypt wanted to oppress them um, and then he made them slaves. We had the plagues, they go through the Red Sea. Um, They've had manna and quail from heaven. They've seen God miraculously provide for them. They've had water come out of a rock. They've seen that. And then we get this slightly bizarre paragraph that just drops in almost unrelated to anything else where an enemy nation called um, Amalek tried to come against them and Moses says to Joshua you go and raise up an army for me and I'm going to go up there on that hilltop and then we're told that Moses stood there with his arms up and when his arms were raised Israel was winning and when his arms were tired Israel lost And then Aaron, who is Moses' brother, who we have a a lot to do with in the Old Testament, we see a lot of him, he speaks for Moses a lot. And this character called Hur, who never really appears much, apart from Aaron and Moses, they come and stand next to Moses and they hold his arms up physically for him. And Israel wins. And then we move on. Um, And we're, we're left with that. But there's a phrase in here, Exodus 17 verse 9, for those of you making notes. Excellent work, Mark, you're doing a great job. Um, Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. Okay? And I'm going to bring ten points that from either this verse or the few verses around it from this story that I think can give us principles for leadership. And I've got, with my 10 points, I've got two things that are in my heart from these 10 points. One, I would like you to be able to reflect on your own motives and qualities. And for each point, I've got a reflection section. Um, Why do I want you to reflect? Because I I think honest self-reflection is an integral part of leadership. So I think as we do this, we're displaying leadership skills. 
The second thing I want for you is I want you to realize that Jesus already exhibits these qualities. And this is why I love what we've already had, Psalm 23 brought out, and some of the glorious truths that you brought about who we are in Jesus now and who Jesus is. Because Jesus already represents these qualities. And our belief here is that we are now so firmly established and co-connected and intricately linked with Jesus that we can definitively say, if Jesus possesses that quality, then so do I. This is what we believe in this church. It sounds radical, but we are, we are saying, because we are now co-heirs with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Net result, if Jesus is that, I can biblically say, I am that. And so I will now decide to believe about me, not what I experience to be true, but what I know to be true. And I will redefine my perception of myself based on what I know to be true. And the bizarre thing is that you become what you believe. So if I can encourage you to believe that this is true about you, I believe that you will see that. But your experience of you will follow your belief. It says in the Bible, a paraphrase, basically you become what you look at. And those who with... Something eyes beholding the glory of God are transformed daily into their image. You become what you look at. So those are my two hearts. I want you to reflect and I want you to realise that this is already true of you. So if you're experiencing this, great. If you're not experiencing this, you can. And that's not a striving can. That's a sitting back, relaxing... I am actually this person. So that's my heart to convince you of this. Here we go. One, Moses draws upon others' strength. So my, on the screen, I've got my heading, what it is, and then I'm going to bring a sentence about what I believe um, great leaders do, and then my reflection and my, th- this truth about who you are. Um, the only bit I haven't got on the screen will be explaining the context of this, where this comes from. Okay. So Moses draws upon other strengths. Uh, we're, just, we're told here that um, Moses asks Joshua to raise up an army. He says, you go raise up an army. Now Joshua is described earlier in Exodus as Moses' assistant. And it's actually Joshua who ends up taking the people into the promised land. It's not Moses. So despite the fact that Moses was the person that God specifically called and raised up to to, to deliver um, Israel, Moses understands that Joshua does some things better than him. Moses gets that if he was to pick the army, that wouldn't be as effective. He sees in Joshua a strength to lead people, a strength that others will follow, a strength to gather the mighty men. And he draws on that strength. Moses was willing to draw upon the strength of others to fulfill his plan. He made the plan, but he let others execute it. Next one. Great leaders will utilize the strengths of those around them, understanding that realizing the goal is more important than personal recognition. Okay, great leaders are goal-focused. 
Moses knew that he wanted to defeat the Amaleks. He didn't think, I want the glory for this. Okay? Reflection. How are you letting others be themselves? Maybe even publicly better than you at some things. Especially the things that you want to be known as being good at. Will you release or restrict? We're trying to create a culture of honour. We've talked about that before. And what that means is that we celebrate. And the best time to celebrate is when you see someone else achieving the victory that you're going for. We believe that if you celebrate in that moment, you are releasing that victory in your own life. You will see fruit in your own life and you're creating a kingdom culture that is just so counterculture to the kingdom of this world that you are in fact influencing the heavenlies around you. Yeah? Celebration. The truth. The next slide, please, Mark. Nope, sorry. This one here. Are you aware that Christ has poured himself out, humbled himself like a servant to raise you to the highest place? He's already led by humbling himself. He took on the nature of a servant, didn't he? He didn't come to be the one that was all singing or dancing. He came as a carpenter from a town that even his townmates rejected him. You are now made and live in the image of someone who gave their life up to raise others. This is your nature now. So if you think you are going to struggle to celebrate others, you are wrong, biblically. Experientially, you may be experiencing that, but wrong, no. Truth-wise, no. Because you are Jesus, and Jesus celebrates others. Yeah? He is humble, and he raises others up. So next time you're struggling to celebrate someone else, you say to yourself, that's not who I am. I will celebrate you because that's who I really am in Jesus. Two, Moses' plans for legacy. Um, We're told about Joshua that he was the assistant of Moses from his youth. So Moses has spent years discipling his own replacement. He was forward-thinking enough and deliberate enough to plan beyond his own lifetime. He knew he was building something that needed to last beyond him. Now, sadly for Moses, he didn't even get to see the promises of God for, for him personally. He didn't enter the promised land. And yet, and he got told this while he was still leading them. He got told, Moses, God said to Moses, unfortunately, Moses, you're not going to get into the promised land. Someone will take them there after you. And Moses had a choice at that point. Do I now throw in the towel and say, well, because I'm not going to see it, it's not worth bothering with? Or was he living for something greater than himself? And he decided that he would fulfill God's vision for his life, which was to lead Israel through the desert faithfully for 40 years. And of the entire generation that grumbled, Moses was the one, although he didn't get to go into the promised land, he saw it. He went up on a hill and he saw what he'd been waiting for for the last 40 odd years. And then he let someone else lead him in. Great leaders live for something bigger than themselves. 
Next one. Are you living for something bigger than you or is your vision too small? Next one, Mark. Are you aware that before the foundation of the world, Christ chose you in him and set you apart to be holy and blameless, that he's given you a destiny and that he plans to do you good? Even if you don't yet know specifically what that bigger picture is, are you living with an expectation that it exists? Are you living with an expectation that you are an influencer, that you will make a difference? that you are currently making a difference and you can make a bigger difference if you believe that you have a destiny from before the foundation of the world. We're told that Christ chose the church, his bride, to display his glory to the powers and authorities. So you have been chosen already as a, as a vessel to display the glory of who Christ is to the universe. I want you to believe that about yourself the next time you think that you're insignificant or that you haven't got a part to play, even though you may not know it yet. And we'll come on to that. Next one, three. Moses' confidence is in God. Joshua, who is the servant who he's had since his youth, his name was originally Hoshea, I don't know how you pronounce it, H-O-S-H-E-A, um, which means salvation. And at some point, we're not told when, Moses changes, Hoshua's, Hoshea, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Moses changes his name from this to Joshua. And where the first name means salvation, Joshua means Jehovah is our salvation. Moses is very clear from an early age who holds the victory. He knows that his God is big, his God is powerful, his God is going to come through. It's like he nails his colour to the mast with his assistant for everyone to see. Here's what I believe. Jehovah, God is my salvation. The next one. Great leaders trust God and God alone. And again, thanks Mark. Is your trust in God and God alone or do you trust other things, yourself, others, or nothing at all? Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we can't trust other people. But is your foundational hope in God or something else? We need to learn to trust those around us. But if you, all your trust is in someone else and then they let you down, which people do, is that going to rock your world? I went to a football match yesterday, first time ever. I took Finn and Freya and we went with Andrew and Noah and... Um, and I've never been to a football match. I thought it would be kind of fun. We just watched Chelmsford play. And my honest reflection as I came out was, I, this isn't really for me. Much as I enjoyed the, the event, 
to have a lifestyle, to, to be in an environment where my emotional state is so dependent upon the success or otherwise of 22 other people, 11 of whom I might be supporting, it just left me feeling really weird in my tummy. And this isn't a reflection of football at all. It was just thinking there's so many people for whom this, was their, this is their hope. And if their football team lose, their world is crushed. And you could feel the disappointment. We had a great first half, 2-0 up. Second half, we're 4-2 down. And you could feel the emotional change. And I could sense this, this despair and the hopelessness. And I'm left thinking, this, doesn't, this isn't my world. Uh, my hope isn't dependent on a, the success or others of a football team. I have an emotional stability. My hope is in God alone. I'm happy if my football team lose or if they don't lose. I, I, doesn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, um, I couldn't associate with that. Okay? Who, when it all goes wrong, are you still hoping in Jesus? Uh, what's the truth here? Christ's delight was to serve his father and he trusted him even to death. You're in Christ, you have Mr. Trust in you. You are now co-Mr. Trust. You say we're co-heirs with Christ. You're now co-Mr. Trust. Trusting God isn't something you have to struggle to do. Trusting God is natural to you because it's natural to Jesus. I'm going to keep coming back to this. You are like Jesus. Does Jesus trust God? Yes, therefore you can. But you must believe it before you experience it. Okay? Number four, Moses understands how to delegate responsibility. We've kind of touched on this already. He, but he delegates based on the strengths of others. He recognizes the strength in Joshua. And then he releases Joshua and he doesn't control Joshua. We don't see anything about him saying to Joshua, you go and pick some men. And then he kind of brings Joshua back. I wouldn't pick that one. You might want to. How about bringing him in instead? We don't get any sense of that. He doesn't submit to two kind of wrongs, two errors here. He's not so proud that he won't let Joshua look good. If Joshua picks the army and the army wins, he runs the risk of Joshua looking like a great leader and people celebrating Joshua, rightly so. And if Moses was insecure, he could say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want Joshua to get all the accolade and acclaim, so I will just influence that a bit. I'll step in and I'll make that because I, I probably have a better idea than him. Sorry, no, that's not true. The pride, the pride thing will be, I know better than Joshua. The insecurity would be, if he succeeds, I won't look as good as him. I got myself confused there. He doesn't go to pride and he doesn't go to insecurity, both of which would result in control. And control is based on fear. Fear of not looking as good or fear that someone else looks better. Great leaders refuse to control that which might be greater than themselves. 
We're told in the Bible that we will go on to do greater works than Jesus, which almost sounds heretical, but it says that. Jesus isn't fussed about us doing more amazing things than he's done. Jesus reflects the role of a father, and a father wants to be the shoulders that their children stand on. A good father wants their children to go further than them. They don't want their children to be restricted to the level at which they reached. Um, the, tr- the reflection. Do you find yourself wanting to control others from a place of pride or fear? And then the truth. Are you aware that perfect love of Christ has defeated all fear and you are totally accepted in him? Christ is the most freeing and uncontrolling human ever and that in him you are free to celebrate those whom you would previously have feared. Perfect love casts out fear. Let yourself be loved. Realise that you are loved and you won't fear others. You will celebrate them. You will raise them up. You will push them further than you did. Number five. Moses understands his role and the role of others. He's clear that Joshua must lead the army and he's clear that he must stand in his slightly bizarre anointing of sitting on a rock with his hands in the air. It's not, it's not what I would have thought to win a battle, but Moses is clear we have different roles. He knows he has a part to play, and he's happy to play his part. Again, insecurity could have led him to think, if Joshua wins the victory then he's going to look better for this. You know, who won the victory? Was it Joshua or was it Moses? If Joshua didn't fight well, the army would have lost. If Moses put his arms down, the army would have lost. Uh, uh, who was more influential? To even consider that question is to entirely have missed the point, a point that Moses nailed long ago when he changed Joshua's name. Jehovah is our salvation. God won the fight, and individuals played their roles, or whatever their role was. Moses understood that everyone must play their own part. Great leaders understand that great victories occur when people are free to be their truest selves. We must let people be who God has meant them to be. Even if that looks more obviously victorious or looks more bizarre. Everyone needs to play their role, sing their song, dance in their way. I know it's sort of cheesy, but a a team is only ever as strong as its weakest link. And no, no no links are actually weak. We define, we put this sort of hierarchy of strength sometimes, don't we? But if you're leading something, you need to look after the weakest link. 
It's like we're told this is a body, isn't it? And we actually give honour to the, the weaker parts. And God made that for a purpose, didn't he? So that the public bits, the hands, the feet, the head, the nose, they're already glorious. They're, they're gloried already because they, they receive the honour because we can see those. But my liver, that no one can see and no one really notices, if I don't look after my liver, my hands aren't going to do any good at all because something's going to go wrong, wherever it is. No idea where it is. In here somewhere. If I don't look after the weaker bit, the bit that doesn't receive any glory, it's no good having hands because I'm, I'm laid out on a bed somewhere. Okay? So a great leader doesn't necessarily focus on the public bit that's already got the glory. The great leader will look at, where's the, where's the most dishonoured? Where's the least public? Because unless I look after that, it doesn't matter what's happening somewhere else. Um, do you know that God had a role for you to play? Are you playing your part? This is the reflection for you. Are you happy that others must play their own role, which will look different? Are you aware that without others, your role is less effective and isolated? Or, because you're slightly insecure, are you aware that without you, others is less effective? Don't be proud and think others, you don't need others, but don't, don't do yourself down and think that others can't do without you. Don't define the success of your role by anything other than am I being who Jesus told me to be. Comparison to anyone ever apart from Jesus will only ever lead you to insecurity or pride. That's what I tell my students at school every day. You cannot compare yourself to someone else. You will end up looking, feeling better than them, in which case you're proud, or you end up feeling worse than them, in which case you get depressed. Neither of them are healthy and will lead to growth. As Jesus, this is the next one for me, Mark, as Jesus is part of a trinity, he plays his role and he delights in his role. He embraces his part of this union. He's very happy to be him and let Holy Spirit be Holy Spirit and let God be God. You are now in the image of someone that functions gloriously in team and with their own roles. And it's a source of joy and delight in the trinity that they embrace each other. So my embracing of your role should be a source of delight to me. If I see you being truly you, that's a source of joy to me. Let's move on. Four more. Six, Moses understands how to wield the authority God has given him. He has this staff that he's been given, and he knows that at times he must use that staff and put it out over the water, and the water's part. At one point, right very early on, God says, when God initially um, gives Moses the task of being leader of Israel, Moses says, I don't really want it, how, how will I... 
I can't do it. And how will they listen to me? And God says, throw your staff on the ground. He just happened to have a, 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 star, a, a stick of wood on the ground in his hand. And God says, throw it down. And it all falls on the floor and it turns into a snake. And God then says, listen, God then says, pick it up. Well, we're told before that, Moses has jumped away from it because he's obviously afraid of the snake. God then says, pick it up. Moses reaches down and he picks it up. At that point, at that point, I believe Moses has made a choice that affects the rest of his life. Moses has made a choice to trust God. He could have said, what's a snake? What are you saying? I'm not going to pick it up. But no, he just reaches down and picks it up. And it becomes a staff as he picks it up. Moses proved then that he was willing to obey God quickly and effectively without arguing. And that served him for the rest of his days, apart from one time when he kind of went his own way and decided to do something with the staff that God told him last time but wasn't what God was telling him this time. But in general, when God says to stick your staff out over the water, Moses stretches his staff out over the water and the water's part. When God says do something else with your staff, the plagues come or the plagues finish. This staff is always involved and it's not because there's anything magic about the staff. It's because this staff, I believe, is a constant reminder to Moses I trust God. God will do what he says. I just need to do what he says. Yeah? Moses understands that he carries the God-given ability to change the physical world with the power of God based on trust and a relationship. He proved already that God will say what he said he did. So now... He has trust in that relationship. Now he can exercise his authority. Great leaders trust what God has given them and they execute this through relationship. They know because they've experienced God that he will say what he, he will do what he says that they can be confident in what he's, gonna, what he's asked them to do. But it comes from relationship. The next one, are you aware of what God has given you? Are you in close enough relationship with God to hear what he might be saying? Have you given God a chance to prove himself to you, to allow you to trust him? I don't believe you'll have any authority that goes beyond your relationship. I don't, be, I don't believe you'll be effective beyond the extent to which you're in relationship with God. Quickly move on to the next one. You are in permanent relationship with Jesus already. He's always speaking to you, and the word promises that his sheep hear his voice. There is within you this permanent desire to trust God. You can you can walk in the good of that. Next one, Moses understands how to use the gift that God has given him. We've touched on this already. Moses has practiced through relationship 
and through time and experience, and he understood what his role might be. Great leaders understand themselves and those around them and demonstrate diligence in their relationship with God and are confident in the execution of their roles. This is linked to the last one. Again, this is about relationship. This is about giving God a chance to prove himself to you, to giving you a chance to prove yourself with him. And there's a diligence in your relationship. At that, that toing and froing, that daily interaction. The reflection, Mark. How diligent are you with your relationship with God? How well do you understand what God has given you? This is a bit of a challenge to you, to us, to me. Again, we will only be as effective as our relationship is. So if we want to be more effective... We need more time with Jesus. And I don't, I don't say that condemningly at all. I really don't. I'm, I'm not up for that. I'm just, I, I think it's a truth. <laughs> I think there is a, a direct correlation. Your relationship and the quality of your relationship and your spiritual effectiveness. Apparently Ignite are overrunning by 10 minutes, um, so I've got a bit more time, which is quite handy because I'm only on point eight of 10. Um, so if I overrun, it's okay. We've been told to overrun. Um, no, when, would, <laughs> when does a preacher ever get told that? Glory. Um, and they've got 10 points, exactly. I should have had seven, shouldn't I? Uh, or perhaps not. Where was I? Yes, the next slide for me, Mark. Um, so we're talking about this relationship, and this is well, let's, good. Let's pause on this for a second. Are you aware that in Jesus you are in constant union already with God, and you have permanent access to the Father? This is kind of what we where we were touching in worship. I don't want your relationship with God to be something that you feel like you have to do. God doesn't want that. God wants your relationship with him to be something that is love-based. But I know that can be hard sometimes. I know it can be hard in my marriage with my wife. I know there are times when I don't feel soft and warm and gooey towards Jules because innocently she may have done something that I interpret the wrong way and then I feel wronged. It's usually the case that she hasn't done anything wrong, but I've misinterpreted. So it's not even like, because the other part is... But my point is, it's not even like the other party is necessarily at fault. Even when the other party is not at fault, I can feel wronged. I can feel... I can lose that sense of... Hmm. Um, and we can do that to Jesus. We can hold grudges against Jesus. We can resent Jesus. We can lose hope in him. We can be disappointed well there's a biggie the timing can be different he can be doing things slower than we expected or faster than we expected our expectations can be different and that can affect our relationship and yet brothers and sisters I want, to, I want you to know that your relationship with him goes far deeper than your personal experiences and your emotional responses. I want you to know that inside your very being, 
always and for eternity, Jesus lives and loves you. And that you never, ever need to get beyond your emotions to find him. You don't need to go past your emotions into him. He doesn't require you to get beyond your emotional feeling so that you can reach him. He wants to meet you in your emotions. He's already connected. You don't need to get be, move beyond disappointment before you connect to him. He's already there. Whatever state you are in, nothing can separate you. Your disappointment can't separate you from experiencing him. I like to think of it like this. This is just how my, my brain works. For me, I, it's, it's physically like I almost just fall backwards. And I just kind of, I, I stop. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're already there. I'm going to stop striving. I'm just going to let go. Whatever I'm feeling, there we go. And I'm in Jesus. And, and for me, I, I end up falling backwards, and I, it's glorious, I end up falling backwards through the floor into this river, and I'm just floating in a river of Jesus and the sun shining, and I, I feel like I'm just completely out of control in, this, in the most peaceful way possible. And I have the sun on my face, and I just let the river take me. Either that, or the other one that I get is that I, I'm, it's like I'm in a waterfall, and I just look up, and I've always been under this waterfall. It's like the lampstands. This image of the in the Bible, you get the lampstands, the um, and there's two trees on one side, and there's one, and they're olive trees, and they're permanently feeding oil into the lamp. We don't need we don't need to top up the lampstand because they're permanently connected to the to the oil. So I just realise it's like I just look up and go, oh, I'm already in the waterfall. I just need to reconnect with the fact that I'm already there. There's Jesus. Oh, there's whatever I need. It's already, I've never moved out of this flow of spirit because it's in me. No sin can separate you. I'm going to hang on to this point for a minute. Nothing you do wrong can ever separate you from the love of God because if it could, your sin is bigger than the cross. And we don't believe that. So because the cross is bigger than your sin, you can sin and in that instant remain in perfect connection with Christ. And he doesn't require you to repent before you connect to him. He, re- he wants you to repent because you are connected. And all repentance is, is acknowledging, I'm still in you. That wasn't the real me. I wasn't being true to who I really am. I'm sorry that I forgot who I was it's, it's not I'm sorry so that I can reconnect with you it's not I'm sorry please accept me this is fundamental because unless you get this you will try to work your way back into relationship which means that somehow you're involved in it you're not it's, he's done it forever permanently in union you cannot break it Yeah, 
let go of controlling it and just accept that it's real. And then it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, you're in that relationship. Next, I've got three more. I'll be quick. Moses understands how to make decisions without having all the answers. He didn't know he was going to win. He didn't know how to raise the army up himself. Some points in Moses' life, God told him specifically what to do. Do this. Other points, there was a circumstance where we're told Moses inquired of God and then God, God told him. This is neither of those. This is simply Moses took, t- took action. Moses trusted in his God-given wisdom, his experience, what he already knew to be true of God. He trusted his friend Joshua. He trusted God. Great leaders are prepared to take calculated risks based on their understanding of God. Their trust of God is greater than their fear of the unknown. Okay? He didn't have a go do this, and he didn't go to God, and God told him, do this. He just acted. Amalek comes in, Moses decides, we'll do this. Joshua, you do that, I'm going to go up here. He trusted what was already in him. The reflection, how prepared are you to step out before you know and are certain of the outcome? So the truth, you're made in the image of a God who's already taken what can arguably be the biggest risk of all, to love. To love you and let you reject him. So you're made in the image of a God who knows what it is to risk. You are free to risk, to love without fear, because that's what God is like. Number nine, Moses understands the team nature of leadership. Now this was actually a, a, a tough one for Moses. We're told that Moses led Israel by himself for a long time and then at some point Moses' father-in-law comes along and says, basically, well, what are you doing? You're going to burn out. This is far too many for you. He was single-handedly letting all their issues come to him and he was arbitrating. And then his father-in-law says, that's a silly idea. You, you can't do this. Pick for yourself wise men to be heads of thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. And then Moses took that advice on and then let them arbitrate everything else and the big ones came to him. Moses was prepared to function as part of a team Great leaders know the strength of the team and are humble enough to receive as well as give advice. And the last one, linked to this, Moses is humble enough to accept assistance and help. Okay, He's just accepted help from Jethro, his father-in-law. He accepts help when his arms are being held up and then he gets tired. And he doesn't say, no, no, I'm doing this by myself. No, no, I've got it, I've got it. No, 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 oh, no, I didn't. He lets someone else come and hold this arm and that arm up. He accepts the help, and because he accepts help, his arms stay up, and victory is guaranteed. Great leaders are secure in their identity 
and we'll um, focus on the goal and accept help on the journey. The reflection. How, how good at receiving help are you? Do you feel it undermines you in some way? Do you feel more defined by the weakness that you perceive about yourself than the truth from God of who you are? Do you feel that accepting help somehow shows you to be weak? So the truth, Mark, the last one. Are you aware that in Christ you've already been accepted at your weakest? Christ doesn't want your strength if that means denying his. Christ has already emptied himself, despised, rejected, mocked, yet he didn't assume these as an identity. He was secure in his relationship with Daddy God and he let this love define him. Even when everyone else around him left him and mocked him, he knew who he was. You can have that strength of identity. If he knew who he was in God, then so do you, because you are in him. I'm going to take just two more minutes where I want you to respond in your heart in some way. And the things that I think Holy Spirit wants to do are, are twofold. I want to honour what Phil said already, that there are badges for you of well-dones for all the ways that you've served. But I also feel like Holy Spirit wants to bring comfort, perhaps. If you've felt overlooked or if you've been hurt in some way in your journey to this point. And I just feel like um, in the next two minutes, I don't want this to be a public response, I just want you to allow God to minister to you and that he will bring, he will bring that pat on the back and that, those stripes on your shoulder if that's what you need. But he'll also bring an arm round and say, yes, that was painful. I understand pain. Or yes, you're disappointed. I understand disappointment. And I feel like he wants to connect with you wherever you might be. And I just want you to let him and let Holy Spirit do whatever he needs. So I'll stop and then in one and a half minutes time we'll wrap up. But just let Holy Spirit do what he wants with you. Um, I just felt there might be a specific category of people that God wants to speak to. Um, I don't know if you know what a purple heart is, but uh, in the US military, um, if you're injured in battle or killed, um, you are awarded a purple heart. And just while I was sitting there, I felt that uh, there are people here that when um, Dave was talking about... uh, uh, Sorry, Phil and Dave were talking about the ribbons and and medals. uh, I just felt... Um, that there might be people here that God wants to award a Purple Heart to um, and just acknowledge that in leadership um, sometimes there's injury um, and woundedness. And um, yeah, I just feel if you're a person who has been involved in leadership and there's been pain and it's something that has rested with you, I just feel that God's got a particular, wants to touch you right now and uh, 
and say, I, I recognise that there's pain sometimes in this, and there is a purple heart, which is a recognition of God saying, I was with you in that, and I understand that, and I honour what, what that cost you. And it's not to say there wasn't pain or to diminish what happened, but just God's acknowledgement of that. And so if that is you, I just encourage you to take a moment and just, if it helps you to visualise a, um, like a general awarding a medal to you, I just encourage you to receive that right now. Just the honour of the general saying thank you. I, I see what that cost you. Yeah, I just felt like I had a verse for the same group of people, actually. Um, if this is you, this is what God says. This is from Matthew 11. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's God's promise. Thank you, God.